Companies have boards of directors, right? Like people who have special expertise who can help shepherd the company during trying times. What would it look like to have a personal board of directors? You know, think of three to five people in your life who are like wise mentors and who have your best interests in mind and who don't have an agenda. We're looking forward to this stimulating conversation with Dr. Brian Dick because at VOCA we know a sense of calling gives us the confidence we need to make it through the tough times in our career. Brian has done the research to prove that this deep clarity of vocation is within reach for all of us. This is the Career Navigator podcast where we deliver the insights you need to discover and travel God's path to the best next for your career. I'm Dr. Chip Roper, your host. We believe that no one needs to walk alone through career transition. And I'm not alone. I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Ken Kennard. Hello, everyone. And Sarah Evers. Hi. And Ken is going to tell us a little bit about our topic for this episode. You know, people who are in job transition are asking the big questions like, what is God's call for my life? And how do I make sure my job really fits who I am? And how do I get the support I need to succeed at work for the long haul? Well, today's conversation covers all of these and more. We're going to learn about finding your calling, creating a personal board of directors, and the four C's of adaptability, concern, control, curiosity, and confidence. So let's get into the interview. This webinar was recorded with a live virtual audience in November of 2020, and Sarah was there to introduce our guest. Well, let me introduce our guest to, to you all tonight. Our guest is Dr. Brian Dick, and he's a vocational psychologist, professor of psychology at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, and he's the co-founder and chief science officer at Jobsology. So Brian studies meaning and purpose in the workplace and calling and vocation in career development, and he's at that intersection of faith and work. So he served on editorial boards for seven research journals. Seven. I don't know the last time I read a research journal. Sorry, Dr. Dick. So <laughs> he's been on the editorial board of seven research journal, and he's published four books. So we're really excited to have him here. He's an American Psychological Association fellow. He's the recipient of the John Holland Award for Outstanding Achievement in Career or Personality Research and the Applied Psychology of Religion and Spirituality Award. So let's welcome Dr. Brian Dick. He lives in Fort Collins, Colorado, so this is dinner time for him, and he's taking time out from his wife and four sons to join us tonight. Dr. Dick, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Well, thank you, Sarah and Chip and Ken. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Please call me Brian. I'm very, very happy to join all of you tonight. Brian, it's great to have you, and... Uh... Thanks for joining us. Let's just dive right in. That's, I mean, you've done a lot of research and writing. Uh, what are some of the key points of your vocational model? Like, what, what's kind of the, the heart of it? Well, I mean, just as a, a quick step prior to that, to give you a little context on the way I, I approach these things, um, I'm a, a believer in Christ and I'm not a trained theologian. I'm a theologian in the sense that all of us are theologians. Um, so, you know, as a person of faith, I think very 
I want to think very carefully and deeply about what you know our, our Christian worldview has to tell us about our place in the world and what that means within our work. Um, but as a as a research psychologist, um, you know, I've spent most of my career trying to investigate using science what it means to have a calling and what difference it makes for folks. And so a lot of what um, I've really tried to do over the last decade or so in particular is start to integrate a lot of what we've learned from vocational psychology with principles that, you know, we derive from scripture. And, and so you asked, you know, key points of, of a model. I mean, I, I'll just kind of carve it out as having two broad parts. One is discerning a calling and one is living a calling. Okay, and those are not exactly the same thing, right? So discerning a calling speaks to that, that, um, that big question, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or what's God's calling for me um, within, within life as a whole and within my career in particular? And, you know, I, this journey of kind of trying to find answers to this question really comes out of a pain point for me because as a young person, I really grappled with these kinds of questions. Um, you know, I remember praying and, and begging for God to reveal uh, the answer to that question. And I don't think I expected an audible voice or, you know, Moses in the desert burning bush kind of experience. But I did expect that the more I prayed for a clear answer um, and the more earnestly I prayed, then it was just a matter of time before that would be revealed to me in some kind of clear and unmistakable way. But if you, if you read theologians on this question, they'll point out that even in the pages of Scripture, um, God tends not to reveal his calling to people uh, directly, you know, as in with an audible voice. He does that sometimes, but not not very often it's the exception not the rule and so then what do, what do the rest of us do and i think you know the the real the key focal point for uh, approaching this question of discerning your calling is gifts and there are lots of passages um, i like to talk about you know how paul refers to gifts in the new testament first um, corinthians 12 is one of a few places where he talks about gifts and, and uses the metaphor of the body. You know, the church is like a body and each of us plays, a, you know, is a different part of the body and one part can't say to the next, you're not important. We're different and all are important. We have to figure out um, how to work collaboratively to advance the well-being of the whole. And if you wanted to take that general principle and apply it broadly to the world of work, you'd be in good company. Luther did that and Calvin did that and the Puritans took the ball and ran with it. And so there's good precedent for that. But then as a vocational psychologist, I, I look at, you know, what do we know from research about what actually predicts a sense of purpose in someone's work and uh, job satisfaction and performance and all of that. And it's, it's gifts. So I use that word really broadly. Um, and what I know from psychology is that a, a reasonable starting point is probably interests and values, right? Interests, what do you enjoy? and values what's important to you or what do you need to have in a work environment in order to be satisfied and then you layer on top of that things like personality and abilities and so forth so if i'm trying to figure out what my calling is i think probably praying is a is a reasonable thing for christians to do but maybe it's praying for wisdom rather than for a divine revelation 
And then it's um, engaging in an active approach to figuring out what my gifts are, being able to articulate that, but then also looking at the world of work and exploring pathways, you know, both opportunities and needs, and then looking for a fit. And there's decades of research on that person environment fit question that shows that the greater the fit between an individual based on their psychological attributes and the work environment on multiple levels, you know, the occupation, the organization, the team they're a part of, the greater the fit, the better the outcomes in terms of satisfaction and, and commitment and so forth. And so that's, a, that's one of the examples where psychological science within vocational psychology and principles that are laid out in scripture converge. And I get super excited when I see that happening. So that's discerning a calling. That's the discernment side. And then the other part is living a calling. I mean, it's, you know, a, a lot of us, and this was me as a young person too, once I have any, the answer of what, what my calling is, there's this sort of like naive expectation that will just ride off into the sunset and everything will go great. And the reality is it's, it's almost like a marriage, you know, finding the right person really helps, but then that's when the hard work begins. And so, you know, living a calling is on an ongoing basis. How do I express my gifts within the world of work? And, and how do I approach my work in a way that aligns with what matters most to me? And, you know, for Christians, well, maybe before I talk about what this looks like for Christians, I'll say there's a body of research that looks at that question um, in, in terms of a sense of meaning. Um, the stronger the alignment between a person's experience at work day to day and their broader sense of purpose, and meaning in life, uh, the more meaning they'll experience at work. And that seems to be the case, interestingly enough, regardless of the actual content of a person's broader sense of meaning in life. Um, it's sort of like God designed us in such a way where we benefit from coherence and um, integration, you know. So there's a huge advantage psychologically when different parts of our life, including our work, is in alignment with what we see as our, our worldview. And so for Christians, you know, our worldview derives from the Bible. So, you know, one of the easiest or most efficient ways of describing what that looks like is kind of like four acts of a play, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we can go into detail about what those four acts entail. But to me, uh, if you think of the Bible that way, um, then it prompts some questions that are important to answer within your work, whatever, whatever your work entails. Things like, you know, what is God's created design for whatever sphere of influence I've been entrusted with? And in other words, what needs to be preserved or cultivated or developed? You know, it's a kind of a culture building question. And then with the fall, it prompts the question, what's gone awry in my job? You know, what is tainted and distorted and not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and then with redemption and renewal, we ask this question, you know, what, what, does my, what would it look like for my sphere of influence at work to be fully renewed, you know, like this sort of new creation hope we have when Christ returns and makes everything new? What is that going to look like given where I'm at right now? And then how can I organize my activity so I can push against the effects of sin and move things in that direction toward full renewal? You know, it's easy to just phrase those questions that way. The rubber hits the road where you come up with the hard answers to those questions and then figure out what that means 
in terms of you know your daily walk on the job um, but that's I mean <laughs> going into maybe a little more detail than than uh, I expected here but that's sort of what it boils down to if you frame it in terms of discerning a calling and living a calling that's really that's really helpful it's a great place to start um, how would you define calling yeah I mean that's it's a great it's an important question and and you know there's actually within the academic world there's some debate over what that term means I've I've always taken the view that a calling has, as it applies to work anyway, kind of has three factors. Uh, number one is a transcendent summons. It's this notion that something beyond myself is compelling me or calling me to approach my work in this way. Um, the second is an alignment of uh, work purpose with life purpose. Okay, so what I'm doing all day for my job is not segmented and separate um, siloed off from what matters most to me in life. The two are in sync. And then the third is um, a, a kind of pro-social orientation. It's the idea that um, we approach work in this way not uh, to kind of pursue our own personal happiness, but rather to contribute something of value to the world around us. The paradox being that the more focused we are on um, enhancing the common good, the happier we tend to be. So transcendent summons, purposeful work, and pro-social orientation is kind of how we define it within our research. What percentage of people do you think feel like they have a sense of calling in their work? Do you guys have any stats on that? Yeah, what would you guess? 30%. Um, it, it depends a little bit on how you ask the question, but we, we did have, um, we had this data set from a nationally uh, representative sample um, that we partnered with some sociologists to collect. And it is about 45% of people. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, Higher than I thought. Strongly or totally agree with the statement, I have a calling to a particular type of work. But I'm in New York City, and you had an altruistic component of your definition there, and like hardly anybody here qualifies for that. So like the percentages are lower here. <laughs> There might be regional differences. That's very possible. Forty-five. That's good. That's that's really interesting. How how have you how has the concept of calling or voca like this vocational center changed or been affected by by COVID and the, the the shifts in work that we're seeing in the, from the pandemic? What do you think? Well, I mean, you know, prior to COVID, everyone was still talking about a changing world of work, right? And so there were already lots of changes happening in terms of the way people experience their work, the way work is carried out, the kind of implicit labor contract that people have with an employer. Um, so, you know, there, and a lot of times I talk about kind of three main ways in which work ha was changing prior to COVID. You know, we're trading um, security for flexibility. So the rise of the gig economy, employer loyalty sort of going away. Um, we're, more and more, we just sort of have to embrace being a free agent uh, of, you know, of our own careers. Um, every job turning into a tech job, so the Internet of Things and um, you know, almost every job now has some kind of technological requirements and interface which requires a learning orientation. And the third is you know, the robots supposedly coming to displace all of us. So all of that stuff was happening pre-COVID. But when COVID hit, it just served as an accelerant. You know, it's pouring gasoline on all these things. So, you know, I'd say some of the COVID-related changes 
are new, you know, if you're not used to having your kids having to do school from home, and now you're managing that on top of your own work, that's new. Um, most of us had a lot more in-person um, meetings and so forth. Now all of that's on, you know, via Zoom or whatever platform you use. That's new. But a lot of the other changes are just sort of, you know, um, the changes we saw before, but on steroids. So the response to that then is, you know, the vocational psychologist in me wants to say it's adaptability. It's career adaptability. In business, you know, when there's, when there's uh, disruption, we innovate. And in career development, when there's change, we adapt. So it's sort of having this learning orientation, waking up in the morning saying, what is something new that I can learn today? It's developing uh, the ability to be nimble, to roll with change, to anticipate change, um, to look to expand your array of skills. That was important before COVID, but it became absolutely essential uh, for making things go during COVID. And, and then I'd just say now, um, you know, something that started to emerge, I think we all feel it, the pandemic fatigue that people are talking about is sort of a new reality layered on top of all the other uncertainties related to COVID. Um, I just, I think it puts us in a position where we just have to have some compassion on others, uh, some self-compassion, maybe setting realistic goals and expectations, not expecting so much of ourselves, just giving ourselves a little bit of grace and then focusing on what's really important. Um, those are the things that I think are probably essential for just sort of surviving through this period. That's, that's really interesting. How's, I mean, how's work changed for you? Yeah, well, I mean, at my, at, uh, uh, let's see, at my university, although, uh, you know, the PR people are very quick to point out that two-thirds of courses at Colorado State University have an in-person component. Um, none of my courses do, so I'm completely, um, completely at home uh, now. And, and I was doing online teaching before, but now I'm doing all online teaching, and that can be burdensome. And, you know, with Jobsology, we have a small team, and we evaluated the use of our office space and decided that since none of us had been in there in months, maybe we should you know, not renew the lease and become a completely virtual company and, um, you know, remove that expense. And so we did that. And so that's very new. And, you know, lots of companies are reevaluating, I think, the role that uh, remote working is going to have in, in the life of their company going forward. Before we get to the rest of the interview, we want to tell you about one way you can maximize your job transition with a professional guide. There's so much at stake in job choice. Your daily reality, God's plan for your life, even God's plan for the world, because our work is part of his vision. So maybe it's not so wise to just jump at the next shiny opportunity. VOCA's Career Navigator gives you all the facts and space to get perspective and comprehensively move forward in your career. The program has three components. First, personal discovery. That's where you take assessments and find out how God's wired you. This provides scientifically proven data about what kinds of work you're suited for and what kind of environment fits you best. Second is messaging. That's where you work on refining your value proposition, which helps you communicate clearly with people who can actually help you find the next opportunity. 
And finally, you learn about how to master the job interview process. This includes refining your resume, improving your online presence, standing out in an interview, and even negotiating your salary. The Career Navigator is offered in two versions. The individual version gives the most attention to you with a dedicated coach who guides you through the entire process. There's also the cohort version where you join others in a small group to help each other along the way. Both versions come with a robust online learning management system that provides the structure you need to stay motivated and keep moving through the process. The bottom line is that you walk away with hope and a plan. So if you or someone you know is in the middle of a job search or you just want to find how to follow your calling, check out the Career Navigator at vocacenter.org slash career navigator. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Say a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit more about the remote work effect and you know how like when you said earlier that we our environment, the fit of our environment with our with who we are, kind of that's part of giving us that sense of calling or purpose in our work. And I mean, if you're an extrovert, if you like to be a part of groups that are brainstorming and creating, uh, if you like to be hands-on, like it, it seems like a whole a whole group of us may be feeling like our our calling is kind of being pressed down a little bit by this. Well, there's been a huge shift, right? And so the same job, the same job title, based on the way the work has changed, the nature of our fit to that job may, you know, it's got implications for that, right? So if if you're somebody who is more extroverted and just thrives, you know, gains all kinds of energy from, you know, in my case as a, as a professor, walking through a classroom and, you know, making eye contact with folks and, and drawing them out and um, raising questions that we can all engage. Like you can do a Zoom version of that, but students are exhausted. Many of them request to have their cameras off. You know, that's kind of hard when you don't see any, you don't get any nonverbals from the folks you're training. You know, it's draining. I mean, it, and people talk about Zoom fatigue too. You know, for someone who's a little bit more extroverted, especially, it's totally draining. If you're a little bit more on the introversion uh, end of that continuum, then it might be sort of a pleasant change of pace, right? <laughs> Where you don't have to be in this um, scenario that you found to be exhausting all of the time. So I think, I think what's key there is that these changes have had implications for, you know, where we derive uh, meaning and joy from our work. And um, that takes a little bit of evaluating. And I, I would say a, a key response to that would be recognizing that, um, you know, we're not always passive recipients of our jobs and our responsibilities. We're also active shapers of it. So if there are things that I think have shifted that have made things a lot more difficult. Um, it might be an interesting exercise to think through well, how can I shift things back or how can I create new opportunities to engage with people um, that will give me some version of what I enjoyed so much before, even though recognizing that, you know, it's we're just in unusual circumstances and, and there's always going to be compromise. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's well said. And you mentioned earlier just the need to be agile and to kind of adapt. I think is the word you used to be, you know, adaptability. And are there certain thing, questions we should ask ourselves, or 
um, practices we should even get into so that we can sort of stay ahead of the curve. I mean, um, even when it comes to the pandemic way of working, if we could call it that, um, you know, we see the same thing. We see that like this has accelerated a lot of trends. So that that kind of pushes those things further down the road. Um, and we don't think from the people we're talking to that it's going to this isn't going to be over anytime soon. Like we're going to be wearing we're going to be fighting about wearing masks and talking about a vaccine. And like it's probably going to go into next, you know, well into 2021. And some are saying it's not really going to be in the rearview mirror till 2022. So, you know, what, what are some things we can do to kind of yeah. keep that keep kind of recalibrating that sense of calling or purpose? Well, um, if you're talking about adaptability, there's there's four C's. Okay, there's four C's. Concern, control, curiosity, and confidence. All right, so let me walk you through those briefly. Yeah, that's good. Um, so concern, here we're talking about just having the motivation to prepare for future possibilities, which flows out of a kind of future orientation, a sense that in order to be successful in the future, I need to plan now. And I think a lot of folks were in a little bit of denial <laughs> for um, both how long this, I mean, I remember when, when um, uh, our, our university president said, well, we're going to bring all of our courses online for two weeks. You know, like this will be resolved in two weeks and then everything will be back to normal. I mean, a lot of people had an experience. I don't know who started the two weeks meme, but everybody picked up on it and it just was completely false and misleading. Everywhere. Right. It's like everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, when reality sets in and you realize that the, there's a long game that's needed here, um, part of that is just kind of recognizing, hey, there's a need here for me to prepare, right? So it's concern has to do with that future orientation and being motivated to prepare. In terms of control, here we're talking about self-discipline, right? Taking an organized, deliberate, decisive approach uh, to making changes uh, and decisions. Recognizing that you're an active shaper of your career trajectory, not um, kind of a passive player in that process. Now, I like to say with Christians, you know, control, it, it, this doesn't, is not the opposite of surrender. It doesn't mean I'm not going to surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, control in this sense is the opposite of being impulsive uh, or, um, you know, not planful. Um, so anyway, it's that focus on self-discipline. Now, in terms of curiosity, there's this eagerness to explore, I think, that's really important. Um, you know, exploring ways maybe new ways that your skills translate into new opportunities. You know, in, indulging, I think curiosity is a gift. And it's, it's something that we should feel free to just indulge, right? So, you know, you, you want to learn more about something, do it. You know, develop new skills in an ongoing way. Um, and the best way to adapt to a changing reality is to expand the array of skills that you have and figure out new ways to apply existing skills. So that, that leverages curiosity. And then the last part, confidence. This can be tough for folks because of all the uncertainty, but it's looking ahead and it's imagining yourself encountering these barriers that are inevitable, but overcoming them, right? Um, you know, a lack of confidence leaves a person paralyzed and unwilling to take risk uh, risks. And so, um, you know, a lot of times we prefer to avoid failure by not trying 
but it's one of those you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Um, so it's building that sense of confidence. And the best way to do that is to just leverage the support you have in your life. You know, if there are folks who are working with somebody like a Chip or a Ken or a Sarah, you can lean in on those relationships to build confidence. Um, but people in your life as well. I mean, I like to tell folks, companies have boards of directors, right? Like people who have special expertise who can help shepherd the company during trying times. What would it look like to have a personal board of directors? You know, think of three to five people in your life who are like wise mentors and who have your best interests in mind and who don't have an agenda. And, you know, connect with those people regularly and tell them, hey, I'm going through a transition or I'm trying to survive or I'm, I'm you know, ex doing some exploration. Um, can you sort of uh, connect with me every so often and, and just be a, a sounding board, someone I can bounce ideas off of? That kind of thing really helps um, build confidence. Yeah, we can't do it alone. That's right. We can't do it alone. Um, yeah. Ryan, that's the four C's are great. Let's just let's just say them one more time real quick just to reinforce those. It's challenges. concern, control, curiosity, and confidence. Good. It's good. Well, we took a poll, and let's just look at the poll here. Um, any thoughts to this, response to this? So poll results, to what degree do you feel called to your current work? Um, the modal responses were, were, I'm extremely confident that my job is an expression of my calling, and I generally feel that what I'm doing, that I'm doing what I was called or made to do most of the time. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you've got a, you've got a group of people here who uh, many of them feel like they're on the right track, but there also are a few who are, you know, either not in the workforce right now or uh, think of their work as just a job, not something that connects to a broader sense of purpose um, or feel like it's sort of like a fleeting experience. So you got a mix of folks. And this is, these numbers loosely correspond to what we see in the broader population. So you've got a nice representative group here. Here we go. Well, that's good. Hear that, guys? We're, we're normal. <laughs> well, Sarah's going to come on now, and we're going to begin some Q&A. Sarah and Ken are going to come back, and uh, Sarah will launch, uh, start us out with some Q&A, and... Uh, then we'll turn it over to Ken to moderate the rest of it. And we've got tons of questions already coming in through the Q&A. So good work, everybody. Sarah? Well, Ryan, would you talk to us a bit more about choosing the right people for your personal board of directors? How do you know how, how many people, how, how big, what kind of expertise? Well, I mean, for how big, if you're thinking about gathering a group of people who you can connect um, uh, regularly and in meaningful ways you don't want it to be too big but it definitely has to be more than one person okay multiple perspectives can definitely help right so um, sometimes I talk about having two two separate groups of people one is a board of encouragers and one is a board of advisors you know so you know the encouragers are people who are like you know your mom uh, who don't necessarily like understand in great depth the, the struggles you have, but are always going to be by your side. And sometimes you just need support. But other times you need some insight and some wisdom and some coaching. So I say, you know, like three to five people, three works fine. Um, people who have some life experience, 
So, you know, I mean, we don't talk about age ranges, but having some experience helps. Usually people who have more experience have a lot of wisdom to share. It's people who have your best interests at heart um, and so uh, who are willing to be candid with you, honest, not just tell you what they think you want to hear, and people who don't have an agenda, okay? I mean, all of us have people in our lives who think they have a good idea of what we ought to do and it might reflect some need they have more than you know what's in our own best interest. So if you've got people who meet those criteria, um, you know, then just having them on speed dial uh, or, or just making regular appointments, I guess now maybe via Zoom, uh, or depending on what your situation is, uh, can just make such a big difference. Boy, I like that, that board of advisors and your board of encouragers. That, uh, I like that a lot. And some people can serve on both of those, right? Do you have to pay them twice? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, a bunch of questions coming in, Brian. And uh, I want to launch into those questions. I also have another poll for folks here so they can weigh in on which topic they're wanting more on. Um, So while people are answering that, um, David writes, how is the calling of vocation different in Christian ministry? What do you see there between uh, either Christian churches or Christian nonprofit organizations versus the secular workplace? What do you think, Brian? I mean, it's, it's, in some ways it's different, in some ways it's not, right? I mean, you know, I, I think Christians sometimes like to create a hierarchy of callings and put ministry positions at the top and then other types of work as um, being of less spiritual significance maybe. Um, and so I, I am kind of of a, of a mindset where we reject that and say Christ is Lord of every square inch and all callings are sacred. Um, you know, pastors and, and those in full-time ministry careers, in terms of discerning a path into that, it's still leveraging your gifts. Um, you know, there are some people who think, if I'm a good Christian, I really should consider um, a path like that. And, and maybe God's calling you to that, but I would say everything I said before about gifts is really important. Are you someone who has the gifts to serve effect, um, effectively in those roles? And that's part of, you know, dis- discerning whether that's kind of something for you or not. And then, you know, for folks who are in a role like that, I don't know if exactly if, if I'm really answering the question spot on, but um, I, I will say the, the need for support is immense because um, a pastoral role is often one of the loneliest um, roles within the kingdom. Uh, and it's also something where uh, I think it's an incredibly demanding job because such a broad array of skills is required. Um, you know, people expect you to be a proficient public speaker, um, kind of a scholar who can uh, use commentaries and distill truths from Scripture well, um, but you're also an administrator leading a team. Um, you're kind of a fundraiser having to... Um, uh, ensure that people are stewarding well, uh, your, your counseling. I mean, the, the demands on someone in that role are, are, is immense. When, when you pair that with the level of loneliness that many folks in those roles feel, um, really just points to the need for support and encouragement and um, getting together with folks who are in the same roles and being able to trade um, stories and share struggles with, with folks who get it. Uh, so, 
I don't know, I feel like I'm meandering around this question now, but th those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, that's helpful. So I'm curious, are there any warning signs that you think we could look out for that may indicate we are really not taking sufficient time away from work? I mean, if we're on the verge of burnout, how would we know? Well, I mean, stress turns into strain and strain turns into burnout. Um, so I think everybody is probably experiencing a certain level of stress. Um, that's just normal. I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine somebody not experiencing stress given everything that, that we've all endured, recognizing that we all endured in different ways. Um, when um, that, that stress starts to compound and a person is noticing that it feels harder to get out of bed in the morning, um, uh, it's harder to get anything done, uh, I feel less joy than I ever have, uh, everything feels like a chore, uh, it's a major success just to make it to the end of the day, um, those kinds of experiences, which by the way are very common right now, um, probably point to the need to figure out a way to take a step back and recharge. Um, you know, and of course, there's a lot of things we can't do during uh, this COVID period, but there are a lot of things that we can, uh, getting outside, breathing in fresh air, um, figuring out a place where you can um, kind of be um, apart from people, it's a good time to re-engage nature and uh, experience that um, as well as trying to sleep um, you know sufficiently which is something that I've never been great at but yeah I mean those are some of the things that you'd want to pay attention to and then you know don't wait for things to get that bad be proactive about ensuring that you're caring for yourself before you get there Okay, I'm looking at the poll results now, and it looks like there's almost a three-way tie for the top three answers. So answer number one, top answer is, could you please go deeper into how to find your calling? Uh, and then if you have time, we'll go into the other ones. Uh, one is the factors of fit at work, and third place was the psychological effects of 100% virtual work. So let's start with finding your calling. Any tips on how to do that? Well, I mean, for Christians, I don't want to be too repetitive of what I said before, but, you know, I just say we start with prayer and there's some other kind of like spiritual disciplines we can engage in, engage in that set the tone, uh, that give us a heart that's open. Um, now, I, I, the one piece of advice I'd give the 19-year-old version of myself who was praying, you know, for an answer and being, feeling frustrated or like I'm doing something wrong because I'm not getting it would be, you know, don't just pray and wait passively, uh, but pray and be active. And, you know, and, and what does it mean to be active then? Well, this is one question that there's actually an answer within vocational psychology. There's been lots of tests of career interventions, you know, career counseling interventions, um, to the point where there are now meta-analyses, studies of these studies that have experimentally tested a, a career intervention relative to a uh, control group and these studies find that engaging in a process some kind of career intervention is effective and there are certain things that seem to separate the super effective interventions from the ones that are less effective so those things are um, I'll give you five of them all right written goal setting exercises is one um, so we know the power of goals, right? Uh, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. So setting goals is important, but when you commit them to writing, there seems to be something about 
Um, you know, first of all, it requires a person to take these vague ideas in their head and articulate them in a way that they might not otherwise when you have to write them down. But then the act of writing them down creates a kind of contract. Uh, it's like it has more power to put them in writing now that feels real or something. Um, so that's written goal setting exercises is one. Um, individualized interpretation and feedback. So, you know, working with a career counselor, career coach, you get a lot of in-depth kind of one-on-one -on -one feedback. Assessment is, is very useful here. Um, and I, but I do caution, not just any assessment. It has to be an assessment that has some good evidence for reliability and validity so that the no, you know that the information that you're gathering about yourself is good information, it's accurate. Um, the third would be accurate and up-to-date occupational information. So, you know, how, sometimes we don't know what we don't know about the opportunities that are out there. So how do we learn about them? I mean, there are online resources like, um, you know, the Occupational Information Network that the U.S. Department of Labor has, ONET. You can go to ONET online and get information that way. Um, or you can do informational interviews. You know, if I'm interested in a certain career path, who do I know who's doing that? And or, you know, who do I know who knows someone who's doing that? Can I connect with them and then sit down with them for 30 minutes or whatever, pick their brain? You establish a network, but you also get good inside information as to what it's really like and advice. Um, the fourth, both of both number four and five then have to do with support. So the fourth is attention to support building. It's recognizing that these decisions are best made not in a vacuum, but in the context of community. So everything I said about the personal board of directors, that's kind of leveraging this whole principle. You know, having support is, is crucial. And then the fifth is, is modeling, like role models, having role models, right? When we connect with people who have gone through a struggle similar to the one that we're grappling with in terms of discerning our calling, and we see that they got to the other side of it and are doing okay, then it gives us a lot of confidence that we can do it too. Um, so it's yeah. prayerful discernment with an active approach that includes things like those five critical ingredients. Yeah, those are five great ingredients. And I feel like all of us could look at those and pick one or two that we might want to start with if we're just trying to get the ball rolling here. Now, you talked about the factors of fit at work. And um, I'm wondering if you could go deeper into that. How do they really impact job results? Uh, you said if you're fit for the job you have, you're going to do a better job at what you're trying to do. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I mean, when I talk about fit, I'm talking about psychological fit, right? Um, I'm, uh, so, I, so it would be things like um, interests, what, what do you enjoy, and values, what do you need in a work role in order to be satisfied. So, you know, and I use assessments for this. Um, and, you know, we have this online assessment system called Pathway U that bakes in some of these things. So I know about myself that I really enjoy activities where I'm, I'm, I'm helping people. And I really enjoy activities that allow me to engage in self-expression, like social and artistic. And knowing that about myself, it's important for me to seek out opportunities that reinforce those things. Um, so the last couple of years, uh, I got pushed into, I mean, I'll spare you the details, but I have an administrative role at the university now. And, you know, there was a need and um, there was a perception that I was equipped to fill that need. 
but it's really made me like unhappy uh, <laughs> with all those aspects of the job. It's managing details. It's being at the center of interpersonal conflict among other faculty. Like these things are just, I, I do really do not like it. I can do it, but I really don't like it because it's a poor fit. It doesn't satisfy my desire to be helpful. I mean, it does in a way, but not, I mean, it's the molding and shaping of my, of young people and all that that really is life-giving to me. It's not helping my colleagues who have never gotten along figure out a way where they can coexist without causing strife, you know. That's not fun for me. Um, and the artistic, the self-expression stuff, you know, having to write memos to document what we talked about and get those filed, that's not artistic or creative. Um, so, but part of that means understanding yourself, and then part of that means evaluating your environment and figuring out ways to shape it so that the things that you most enjoy and the things that matter most to you um, are actually part of your regular experience. I mean, another example, because you asked to dig deep, I'll give you another quick example. In terms of values, autonomy. You know, it's half of the reason that I am a faculty member is because um, I know it's a world where I've got all kinds of autonomy. No one's looking over my shoulder and telling me what I need to do. As long as I produce and hit certain performance objectives, I can do it whenever and however I want to do it. And I totally love that. But somebody else who values support more than autonomy would feel lost with, you know, without somebody providing them clear direction and instruction all the time, right? And would be miserable and would crave uh, somebody who, who could establish clearer parameters. So, you know, we're all different, and that fit notion is recognizing the same thing that Paul talked about in, in the New Testament. We're all different, and part of it is recognizing how am I different, and then what are the implications of that in terms of the specific type of, of work environment and work situation that's, that's going to be, um, you know, that I'm going to enter into and what my experience of that's going to be. So let's check in with our coaches and process some takeaways from this conversation with Brian. For me, I'm struck by the following idea. Whether we like it or not, we cannot separate God's plan for our lives from our vocational path. So finding your way in your career is fundamentally spiritual. Some of us just, quote, do what we want or do what seems easiest. Instead, all of us need to say, what does God want me to do? But praying the what do you want me to do God prayer does not make this an easy or quick process. Brian suggests that God reveals our calling over time as we discover our gifts and find the types of tasks that bring us joy. Diligence, exploration, and humility are required on our part to enter the work that God has called us to do. Mm, you know, I hear that, Chip. I, that exploration piece really speaks to me because what I appreciated from uh, Brian's conversation with us was that 4C grid, concern, control, curiosity, and confidence. You know, control is an interesting piece in that it's about this deliberate and organized approach to job search rather than just some haphazard, random shot in the dark. I just think so many people approach job transition in this random way. But an organized, thoughtful approach followed by curiosity gives you the freedom to learn about different ways to apply your skill set and grow your contribution to an organization. 
Well, we've seen these concepts lived out in our Career Navigator job search training program. I mean, just yesterday, one of our Career Navigators said that she started the program thinking about one career path, and now she's excited about possibilities in a completely different field. So the structure that's built into the Career Navigator offers the control that Brian mentions and it encourages curiosity, not to mention the confidence that comes from knowing the real value you bring to work. That's a good story. And I think that she's not the only one that's making a job shift during these times we're in. You know, Brian uh, has gotten me thinking about why so many people are dissatisfied with their jobs. You know, when I, when I read the news, it seems like many people have reassessed their career options during the pandemic. And there's a lot of churn going on with employees. And Brian gave me this aha moment when I realized that maybe if employees are dissatisfied with their jobs now, it might not be that they're just unhappy or hard to please. For many people, the very part of their job that was that is suddenly missing <laughs> is the part of the job that really made it fit for them about how they're wired and who they are. So even if their job is the same on paper, it may not be as fulfilling as it once was. And maybe there's a psychological explanation for that pit in their stomach when they go to work now. Yeah, I relate to that pit in the stomach and it, uh, it's attacked me at different times along my career and driven me uh, into two major transitions in the last 10 years. And one of those transitions succeeded and one failed. Uh, what was the difference? What was the difference in, you know, what, what made the successful one successful? Well, in the one that worked, I hired a coach to walk with me the investment of time and money was paid back to me many times over through the increase in confidence, through the shortening of the time it took me to search, and through the compensation bump I received in my salary negotiation. You know, I found God's help in my search process through a coach, and we offer the same to you through the Career Navigator. So visit vocacenter.org slash career navigator to get started on your process today. The Career Navigator podcast is brought to you by the VOCA Center, where we bring God's wisdom to work. As we close, I invite you to join us live. Every Career Navigator podcast is recorded in front of a live virtual audience. Plan to join us and shape the conversation with your questions by signing up at vocacenter.org slash webinar.